Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the first edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child of Fall 2020. Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you live from Portland, Maine, as always, uh, after a summer hiatus. Um, delighted to have you all back with us um, after the summer. And, of course, what a summer it was. What a <laughs> summer it was. I am joined, as always, by our Director of Outreach at Lives in the Balance, Kim Hopkins-Beth. Kim, how are you? Good morning. I am uh, good. I'm alone in my house for the first time since I'm not really sure when. (laughs) Well, this is going to date me, but as Jackie Gleason used to scream on his show, how sweet it is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> unless unless you're lonely. Uh no. <laughs> not lonely. <laughs> I'm trying not to run around giddy actually, but <laughs> We also have Jennifer with us. Jennifer, how are you? I I am good. I am not home alone. <laughs> and I apologize if the dogs bark while we're uh on air, but <laughs> they're a little noisy. This is a very casual program, and um, dogs just bring us back to life as it is. <laughs> and we are also joined by Stella. Stella, how are you? Good morning. I'm great. Thanks. Good. Um, well, good that all of us are healthy and well, which we cannot say about um, many hundreds of thousands of uh, other people in our country, some of whom are no longer with us, about 185,000 of whom are no longer with us. So um, hmm. if ever there was a time to say it's good to be alive, uh, it is good to be alive um, and glad to be doing the radio program again. If you are listening live, let me give you the call-in number. It's 347-994-2981. There is so much to talk about as it relates to what has transpired since we last did a program back in March, um, which was uh, not that long ago. Excuse me, May. Um, We have done other programs during the summer that are specifically related to the pandemic. Um, and people can still access those on the Lives in the Balance website. But um, let me ask you all, anything you want to talk to us about here in the beginning as it relates to what the last three months have been like for you, pandemic or otherwise? Um, Anything going on that you want to talk about? (laughs) There's really nothing going on. Way to go, Plan C on that. Yes. (laughs) Today is the first day of school for us, so that's kind of a switch. But uh, 
So far, so good. <laughs> well, we'll know. We are two hours in. <laughs> we'll know how going back to school goes in the next uh, month or so. I suspect yes. it's going to be different in different places. These are scary and interesting times to be an educator, scary and interesting times to be a student, and scary and interesting times to be the parent of a student who's going back. Of course, some of those hats are being, multiple of those hats are being worn by different people. Um, You know, in many ways, it's good to see that the kids are going back to school. We just have to keep our fingers crossed that it goes well. Stella, sorry, what were you going to say? No, it's fine. We're actually four weeks in um, where I live, and um, I I teach at a campus that is on the verge of returning fully online. Luckily, I made the decision in June that regardless what everybody else is doing, I was going to teach online. So personally, I'm I'm in good shape, but um, it's it's really unsettling um, for parents and for students that are, you know, looking at the trajectory of of going into yet another switch, like what happened in March. Um, and my only advice is pivot, adapt. Just go with it and do the best <laughs> you can. <laughs> well, at this point, one, the, the, if there's a silver lining, it's that we know how to do this if we need to. Um, right. It's not ideal. It's a big hardship for many people who have to balance work and supervision of their children if their children are doing online learning. Um, That said, it's good to see um, in-person education happening again. Um, And good to see people. You know, one of the things I've been saying lately is – it's kind of too bad that it took a pandemic to get us to worry about, to be concerned about the mental health of kids and educators, but um, we're there now, and maybe it has helped us reprioritize a little bit. We'll see if that holds. Um, Kim, you've been through it this summer with, um, this is the reason that you are dancing giddily around your house. You are... (laughs) in your house for the first time alone here, but let let me put pressure on you. Any major lessons learned, philosophical shifts, seismic shifts in your worldview that have happened as a result of us living in the times that we're living? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think, you know, being less worried about academic success and – you know, kind of taking the foot off the gas around that, uh, especially when it comes to my son. Now he's little and he misses the kindergarten cutoff, so he doesn't actually start kindergarten until next year. But, you know, not caring that I haven't done letters and numbers or made him write his name in months. Um, but I'm okay with that. It, it, I wasn't at first, so I had to become okay with that. And I think, like, it's been a huge theme on the B team is just plan C and, you know, saying to my husband, I really don't care if they don't want to eat what we made for dinner. Let's have an alternative that they will eat. Cause I just don't care. I can't care. Like, we can't <laughs> care about everything. We've got to narrow it down. What are we actually prioritizing here? And, and, you know, I know you went to a lot of trouble to cook. 
and he's a fantastic cook. I said, we will eat it. They don't need to. They'll get something nutritious another way. Like, I don't care. So, um, and I'm not a letter goer by nature. I very much like order. I like a type A personality in that way. Um, so letting go and, and reprioritizing has been a challenge, but good. And, you know, like Stella said, pivot. You know, my daughter's first day was today, and she, although she's hybrid, her first day was in person. And so huge changes. Like she's not taking the bus. I'm dropping her off. Her questions about, well, I don't even know where to go, and I don't know this, and I don't know that. And I had no answers for her because schools are still trying to figure things out. And I, you know, just saying there, there's going to be adults there. Every kid being dropped off has the same questions. You know, we'll just ask whoever greets us, right? And, you know, well, what if I can't wear the mask all day? And I said, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. He'll just do school at home. We'll just, we'll just figure it out. Like, just know that we're going to figure it out. You don't have to say it like this, you know? Um, so just, yeah. And being that flexible is also not in my nature. So just <laughs> flexibility <laughs> and letting go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hmm. Um, we have an expression that shows up on signs when you enter the state of Maine. Um, as, it relates to the, as it relates to Maine, it says the way life should be. But um, obviously, we're not rooting for chronic pandemics, and we're looking for this one to be over as quickly as possible. But prioritizing, deciding what's important and what's not, because everything can't be, and letting stuff that doesn't matter go the way life should be, and not just in the state of Maine, but everywhere. Um, of course, there's some other things that have became quite prominent, especially in the United States over the summer, and that was the reckoning over racial injustice um, that um, we are reckoning with here in the United States in particular. Um, and those protests are, of course, still going on and should continue to be going on because we continue to see uh, injustice um, uh, in the news uh, almost every day and every week. Um, and there's a sense of urgency around those issues as well. Another issue that, of course, we hope doesn't fade, um, you know, when there's the pandemic will, we hope, someday fade, but we hope that the uh, reprioritizing and the concern about each other's mental health does not, um, even if there's not yet another um, person of color being killed um, in the news, um, we hope that the national reckoning over racial equity doesn't fade um, but, of course, many people have had very different reactions to that as well. Um, unfortunately, both issues have become politicized. Um, right. And so the, the part of it that troubles me the most is that once it becomes politicized, um, the listening kind of ends. The listening to each other kind of ends. And listening to each other, I didn't say agreeing with each other, but listening to each other. <laughs> and empathizing with one another's point of view, um, which, of course, is the hallmark feature 
of what we talk about on this program, collaborative and proactive solutions, what we talk about as it relates to how kids and caregivers should solve problems together. Um, once it becomes politicized, the listening and the talking and the dialogue ends, and um, things become a lot more adversarial and hostile and potentially conflictual than they actually need to be. And, of course, we've seen that play out as well, and not just on the racial issues, but also, uh, amazingly, on the pandemic over something as um, innocuous, seemingly, as a mask. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of things become politicized in my days, but um, a mask and whether one has the right to not wear one um, may be the most fascinating thing I've seen politicized in my lifetime. Um, I just find the whole thing to be fascinating. And it, you know, stems from people just taking a stand, closing their ears, and demanding to be heard. And one of the things we always see is that when people don't feel heard, they are a lot less likely to listen to somebody else, especially somebody else with a different point of view. And that's the shame in all of this, as best I can tell. Amen. Uh, <laughs> There's a, a slide or a, a picture that I think that, that Kim pulled and put onto the Lives in the Balance Facebook page at some point and that has been shared on the B team and that I know I've shared a number of times since it went up uh, from, I think, Dr. Green, it was a slide in your keynote at a summit several years ago. And it says at the top, the top five skills that foster the better side of human nature. Mm -hmm. And it lists off empathy, appreciating how one's behavior is affecting others, resolving disagreements in ways that do not cause conflict, taking another's perspective, and honesty. And uh, that, that slide has been stuck in my head a lot over the past few days weeks, months, <laughs> because I think that you know, there are things that people forget and there are things that people need to remember. They're big. When we see conflict over these things, and I don't deny the passion, I don't deny the emotions that surround um, these issues, um, it's the conflict that feels to me like such a waste. Mm-hmm. Passion, great. Emotion, great. Um, I never knew that people could feel so strongly about a mask, but I guess they're <laughs> entitled. Um, but passion around racial issues, definitely. Conflict around racial issues, not so sure. Um, 
we have some email that has come in over the summer of people who are looking for our wisdom. Shall we jump into those? Once again, let me give the phone number for people to call in. 347-994-2981 and press number one. Um, take a look at these and see where we want to start. This was an interesting one. Um, I have a question about situations in which a child's concerns seem so subliminal that they, nor we, truly don't know why they misbehave. Our eldest son is nearly four and generally very calm, well-spoken, and considerate. Recently, however, he is having difficulty staying in bed. As soon as we leave his bedroom, he gets out of bed, starts yelling, laughing nervously, bouncing around, and starts shaking, jumping around his 18-month-old brother's bed, who sleeps in a travel cot in the room. We have asked him why he thinks he finds it difficult to stay in bed, to which he answers, I will keep doing that, or because I want my rabbit, which he always sleeps with, and had been calling and had been with him all along. Because I want water. He knows he always has a full cup of water in his bed. And I just don't know why I do that. His reasons just don't seem to make any sense. And it feels like he really doesn't know why he is doing it and is just giving random answers. We are inclined to think he is after some reassurance of our leadership, but we don't know how to go about. Uh, we can't force him to stay in bed, and we don't want to punish, although in honesty we have resorted to consequences out of sheer desperation. We have tried. Plan B, asking him for his thoughts on reason, including using the five-finger approach, explaining our concern about solutions which didn't produce any, offering him more control over his bedtime routine, uh, brushing his own teeth, staying up a bit later to join us, and read a book while we read as well, taking himself up to bed when he feels tired, calmly and quietly putting him back to bed every time he gets out, which only seems to make him more nervous. When that didn't work, we went downhill fast, closing the door until he can stay in bed quietly. Moving his little brother to our bedroom, his behavior became very disruptive and scary for his brother. Taking his stuffed rabbit until he can be calm in bed. These last three options are offered as choices. You can choose to stay quiet and have your rabbit, but if you choose to get out of bed, that suggests you don't need your rabbit. So we will keep it downstairs until you are ready to go to sleep. But, of course, there are punishments in disguise, and it feels wrong and horrid. We are at a loss for how to approach it. Could it be that his concerns are so subliminal? For example, I need my parents to offer me firmer guidance. I know that my parents can handle it when I misbehave, that he truly can't vocalize them, and hence that together we can't find any solutions. If so, how can we approach in the context of Plan B? Many thanks and warm wishes all the way from the United Kingdom. So, yes, that was a long one, but a very interesting one. Um, anybody want to take a stab at helping out this mom in England? I can 
start. I just have a couple initial thoughts. Um, first off, I'm really glad that mom, you know, she mentioned the consequence type stuff they're doing and she actually recognizes it as such because sometimes we're just so, you know, knee deep in trying to help and we're exhausted and tired of dealing with the same thing over and over that um, we might not think it's actually plan A, but that I think it's a really great sign that she's seeing like, and we know we've resorted to plan A and that's not where we want to be. And it's actually not working anyway, or she wouldn't have emailed us. Right. Um, <laughs> so I think I, I heard a lot of different potential solutions that are not working. What I would love to know, and I know we don't have her on the, on the line to know, but it was great that she said that she tried the five-finger method because that's exactly where my head went, where he might have words but not the right words to tell her. What I don't know is what were the questions they guessed because I heard all the potential mm-hmm. solutions, but what were, what were the guesses about the concerns, you know? Um, and you could, you could sort of ferret out some of them. And I heard her say, you know, he seems nervous, he seems anxious. Um, I'm, I'm sort of doubting that, you know, he, that he just wants them to take mm-hmm. a strong stand. I, I think that, um, I think he knows they're in control. I think, I think he gets that, right? Um, I, I'm just sort of, I don't know, I, without that kind of piece of information, I'm not sure whether to say, and maybe you guys would have something more to add, I'm sure you do, but I'm not sure whether to say, like, what concern did the solution of having him brush his own teeth take care of and maybe there's a different way to take care of the same concern. It's just that brushing his own teeth didn't work, right? So I'm not sure if it's like, did the solution actually take care of his concern? And if it did, but the solution just didn't work, we just have to try something else that still takes care of his concern. But sometimes we come up with great ideas that actually are not addressing his concern. Maybe we don't know it yet. Maybe we do. We just forgot that part. Um, so that's sort of where my head is a little stuck, but I'm wanting to hear what everybody else kind of got out of it. Well, I think that that's exactly the direction I would have gone in. I'm glad that the mum is trying the five-finger approach. Um, But I'm wondering about a much wider range of four-year-old concerns related to why he's having trouble staying in his bed. Um, So it's the guessing that I'm a little concerned about. Um, I have to admit, I would not have guessed in a four-year-old, you need your parents to offer firmer guidance. That's not (laughs) something a four-year-old would typically look for, right? You need to know that I need to know that you can handle it when you misbehave not something I would expect to hear from a four-year-old. So I think that the mom went in the right direction. I'm speaking to the mom here. Mom, I think your instinct about using the five-finger method and guessing was good. Um, It doesn't mean that your son's concerns are subliminal. It means that he can't articulate them or doesn't quite know what they are yet. But I'd like to see you guessing better at a four-year-old level. Um, it's scary for me to stay in my bed. And bottom line, maybe you did this. We can only go with what you wrote. Um, maybe you did this. 
um, uh, I'm not comfortable with out my brother in the room. My brother makes noises, and I think it's a monster. These are things I might expect to hear from a four-year-old, but he's kind of telling us, I don't know why I do that. Um, and so it's not that unusual for what a kid tells us. But, and by the way, make sure that you're sticking not with his behavior, um, but rather what's making it difficult for him to remain in bed. Another potential one, I'm not tired when you guys have me go to bed. Um, or I miss you. Or I wonder what you guys are doing. Or I feel responsible for my brother if something goes wrong. These are, these are what I would call things that I might hear from a four-year-old. Um, so I would suggest that you go back to guessing. Don't worry too much about the subliminal part. And as Kim was saying, um, while I appreciate the urgency to come up with solutions, I don't think you're going to come up with any solutions that work without actually knowing what's making it hard for your son to meet the expectation. And um, you're right, the things you were doing are punishments in disguise. I would have to say that the last thing I would probably do is make his rabbit contingent upon staying in bed. That's for me, a good recipe for taking something that has the potential to be comforting away until your son shows that he can self-soothe without the rabbit. I don't think we want to do that. So um, I don't think you're going to come up with a solution that's actually going to fly until you know what's making it hard for your son to stay in his bed. But I've just listed about 10 potential alternatives that might fly with a four-year-old. Stella and Jennifer, you have both had four-year-olds in your household. Anything to add? <laughs> yeah, you know, I was I was listening to you read the letter, and my first thought was, oh, I remember those days of being just swimming in a pool of adult theory for my son because I was convinced I knew better. Um, and that was one of the the hardest habits to break and one of the most rewarding um, habits to new habit to put in place was to really give my son the space and the time to explain to me, you know, and, and it, it took a while and it takes a lot of patience, but I think Dr. Green, the great advice to put it through a four-year-old's perspective of what's, <laughs> what could potentially be the problem. So, yeah, no, that, that's it. That, that whole adult theorizing thing is just a rabbit hole that can really make everything a mess. <laughs> Jennifer, anything? Well, <laughs> I, I was listening to you reading and I was thinking about early days when it was plan B doesn't seem to be working let's go back to plan A and about my realization that it's going to take longer than I expected to get to where we want to be and that's part of I think why CPS can be really difficult for some parents is because 
if if it makes sense to them right away, they think that it should make sense to their kids right away. But when you go back and forth like that, one of the things that I discovered in our house is that Plan B took there took took a, a level of trust, and that when we would have conversations where we would be in the plan B moment and it would be, you know, you're not in trouble. I'm just trying to understand. And then when it didn't work and you go back into, well, then if you can't stay in in bed, I'm going to take your rabbit. That just reinforces the belief that, well, I really am in trouble. At least it did in our house. Um, which is why we ended up in Plan C for a really long time. <laughs> and I, at some point, joked that Plan C is like the world's longest empathy step. But when you spend a lot of time in that spot, just exploring what's going on and listening without proceeding to the part where you express your concerns, or the part where you try to find a solution, but the part where you're just open to listening to your kid, it can take a lot longer than you want it to or expect it to. But that if you can find a way to stay in that spot, the payoff is huge. And I feel like I just talked myself in a circle. (laughs) And I hope it made sense to someone else. (laughs) (laughs) made sense to me but speaking of plan c here's another email from another mom uh hello i am new to cps and have been reading the explosive child and listened to listening to some of the podcasts which have been super helpful my son is eight years old and my husband and i are on board to plan c pretty much everything at this point but the one part that i really don't know how to handle is if it's in plan c or even how to go about plan being it is sometimes my son will walk by and slap my leg, arm, poke my stomach, spank my bottom, or something of the like. Most of the time, I think he's trying to be funny, and that is what he says if I ask, why did you do X, Y, Z, but it infuriates me. My brother used to do similar things to me when I was a child, and I don't know if it's a trigger or what, but it truly pushes me over the edge every time. I don't know if I should plan see this and deal with my own triggers and figuring out why it bothers me so much or work to have it bother me less. But that also feels really wrong, and I don't want him touching anyone who has asked him not to. Sometimes we will wrestle, and he calls it take down mom, and it usually feels like he's bidding for me to play take down mom when he does one of these moves. But it's when I'm in the kitchen cooking dinner and just can't drop everything. I've asked if I made a specific time of the day set aside for take down mom, if that would help him not to hit, slap, and poke me randomly. And he said, meh, probably not. He was laying on the bed, putting his foot near my face, and I asked him not to let his foot touch my face. The next thing I know, my cheek is hit with his foot. I storm out, frustrated because I'm trying to have a conversation, and he hits my face, and I'm just done. I'm not sure what to do with this, how to plan see it appropriately. Is this a lack of trust? I don't know how to plan B it either and what that would look like. My husband is on board and happy to support, but feels like it's hard to step in sometimes 
because the issue is between my son and I. We are just starting out, and as I said, we can table everything else, but this would be my highest priority to work through, but I'm not sure if I should be or see it at this point, and what that looks like in either case. Let's help this mom out. Um, anybody want to jump in? I could have written parts of that. <laughs> yeah, Jennifer, I was thinking of you as I read it, not because of the necessarily the physical contact, but because I know self-care is um, mm. a big part of your work. And yes. um, plan seeing this would not be self-care. This definitely does not sound like one that the mom can just plan C. Because if the mom plan sees this, she's basically saying, I am removing the expectation, at least for now, that you not make uninvited physical contact with me at your whim. And um, that does not sound like, that sounds unreasonable for the mom from a self-care perspective. But maybe you could talk about that for a little bit before we start talking about what that one might look like in plan B. Well, it definitely, if there are some things that you know are just going to be detrimental to yourself and the idea of, of using CPS is not to put aside your own concerns any more than it is to put aside your kids. And sometimes there are things that you just can't let go and let ride. Um, I think that self-care in that case, <laughs> there are times I, I can honestly say that there has been there have been issues of physical interaction that are unwelcome unwanted, unwarranted <laughs> um, towards people and dogs. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I joke that it's the, the equivalent of the elementary school, I'm not touching you. <laughs> um, and it's so hard to sort of rein yourself back in. For me, it was sort of a question of plan being myself. Uh, what is it about this that bothers me so much? Identifying that for, for yourself, for this mom. And she says, it could be this, it could be that. That's something that I think she should really take some time to look at. Because once she can identify what the trigger is for herself, it becomes much easier to handle it. And you can't explain to someone else why something bothers you if you don't know yourself. For me, it was, you know, I, I know that I'm not asking you to change the way that you're behaving, but you need to understand that if you do this, 
I am going to remove myself from the situation so that we don't continue to have this argument. That was sort of the plan C for myself um, in that moment of I'm not going to, uh, to continue to interact in this moment and let myself get triggered and let things get worse. What I'm going to do is move to a different area. And if you follow me there, I'm going to move again until I hit a point where I move to a place where you can't follow me. Or I will say to you, this is making me really angry and I'm getting to a place where I can't be calm anymore. And sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. And then we end up in a spot where there's explosions on both sides and but the more that we were able to resolve other things, the less that happens. So it's very interesting because what you're talking about is something that actually doesn't exist in the CPS literature. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what I would call conditional plan C. Mm-hmm. Conditional mm-hmm. plan C is where you're saying the plan C part of it is we're not going to work on this right now. That's the plan yep. C part. We, we have bigger fish to fry. We're working on other things, although, quite frankly, this sounds like a pretty big fish in the case of this mum. So yes. I would definitely do plan B on this one in the case of this mum. But in the case of what you're describing in your own life, the conditional part is, uh, though we are not working on this right now, this really bothers me a lot, and I'm going to remove myself from the situation if you do it, even though we're not working on it. That's conditional plan C. Mm-hmm. Um, the plan C part one I'd to jump again. in here. Oh, Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. I love the term conditional plan C and the – the place that I got to in utilizing what you're describing as conditional plan C, Dr. Green, was actually in some pretty intense plan B conversations with my son, very much in, in regards to um, inappropriate, um, aggressive physical contact towards me. Um, and I had some, and, and I, I, this mom wrote that they're very new to the CPS model. So I had already had, CPS, um, you know, in my trajectory for for a few years and started from the very beginning explaining to my son what the plans were, what the difference in the plans were, what, you know, what everything was about. And when I would sit down with him to have this conversation, um, I was very clear when I got to um, the adult concern step to first kind of review at how important going plan C is and how, how often I, you know, we would go plan C and let, let things go for now until because we were working on another priority. And it was within the adult concern step that I would say, this is something I absolutely cannot plan C and just let it go for now. I need to articulate 
the importance of this boundary for me, and we have to find at least a temporary solution working together. Um, and he, I, you know, it didn't fix things, but it got us closer towards having better conversation about it. Now, good. Now, here's the deal. This mom still needs help knowing how to do plan B on this. And as the mom said, she's new at this. So I'm going to operate on the assumption that she hasn't had much practice. And this is going to be a tough one to start with for someone who's just getting started out on plan B. But, you know, we always tell people not to start on an easy one because you never know what's going to be easy. Um, Plan B is plan B. The three steps are the three steps. It doesn't really matter what you're talking about. Um, the unsolved problem would probably be worded. Difficulty. Um, let me think about this. Touching mom only with mom's permission or only during take down mom time. Difficulty touching mom only with mom's permission. Um, that's how I'd start the conversation. And the empathy step, of course, begins with an introduction. Or um, it could also be, and this is a common one, difficulty keeping hands to self with mom, except during take down mom time. I might go with that wording instead. And of course, the empathy step would begin with, I've noticed you're having difficulty uh, keeping your hands to yourself with mom, except during take down mom time. What's up? And now we're going to be listening to the boy's concerns about what's hard about that. And we're going to be using the drilling strategies on the drilling cheat sheet that can be found on the Lives in the Balance website. And mom, if you haven't yet taken the walking tour on the Lives in the Balance website, that's where I would start the walking tour for parents. That's going to explain it all to you and show everything to you in streaming video and audio programming. <laughs> Once you feel like you have a very clear sense of, the, of your son's concerns, you're going to um, then put your concerns on the table. Why is it important that this expectation be met? How is it affecting the boy or how is it affecting other people? In this case, it's probably going to be more how it's affecting other people. And mom, be prepared to talk about what's hard for you about being touched without your permission by your son. And then the invitation is where you're going to be recapping the concerns that you're going to be working on in this plan B, putting your heads together, starting with the words, I wonder if there's a way for us to do something about ba-ba-ba-ba-ba, one party's concerns, and also do something about ba-ba-ba-ba-ba, the other party's concerns, You're then going to give your kid the first crack at the solution. He doesn't have any ideas. We hope you do. And you're not signing off on a solution until you and your son agree that it's something you both can do, it's realistic, and that it addresses the concerns of both parties. And now, a standing invitation, because we're about to run out of time. Um, Call us during next month's program and let us know how it went. So that if you need further guidance, we can give you further guidance. 
but let us know how it went so we don't leave you hanging. But here's my bottom line. I wouldn't put that in plan C. I'd put that in plan B. I'm not sure why you're plan Cing everything. It sounds to me like you could have one or two other things that you're working on in plan B as well. And there's really only one way to get good at plan B, and that's by doing plan B. But you have an open invitation to call into this program, tell us how it went, and we'll guide you further. On that note, believe it or not, we are done for today's program. Thanks to all three of you, as always, for participating. And um, we'll be back next month, don't worry, with another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye.